people, we came to realize that um, restoring the land is restoring the people, that there is a very tight connection between the health of the land and the health of the people. You know, everybody should have the right to burn, so learn how to do it in a safe way and, and utilize it as a tool. Hey there, and welcome to Life with Fire, a podcast that explores the critical role fire plays in America's forests, lands, and communities. I'm your host, Amanda Montai, and you may have noticed that our name changed a little bit. We are now called Life with Fire because of some confusion between us and other fire organizations. I was going to try to get fancy with the name, but figured it'd be best to just stick with something simple. So from now on, you'll need to search for Life with Fire instead of Living with Fire when you're trying to find us. Enough housekeeping for now. Since I started this podcast back in August, I've had a lot of people asking for an episode on indigenous burning, and I'm happy to report that I finally have one ready for you guys. I'll also be doing quite a bit of coverage on indigenous and cultural burning in the future, but this episode will serve as a sort of introduction to the practice of cultural burning. Our guest who will guide us through learning about this practice is Margot Robbins, who is co-founder and executive director of the Cultural Fire Management Council, which is a nonprofit located on the Yurok Reservation in Northern California. Margot has done some incredible work with the Cultural Fire Management Council, which is a collaborative cultural burning organization between the Yurok and other neighboring tribes, as well as local, state, and federal land agencies. Here's more from Margot. Thanks for listening in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Quick note that the audio quality on this episode is not the greatest. I had to record it while I was visiting family in Michigan earlier this month, so didn't have access to all of my normal audio equipment. I hope you guys can put up with it this one time. I promise it won't happen again, and thanks again for listening. So family-led uh, burning is just the average person that lives in our community that would like to burn around their home to um, protect it from wildfire or would like to burn like a gathering place or something. Then um, we help them um, put in fire lines and on the day that they want to burn, we bring our, our fire engine as a source of water to, for an extra measure of safety. So we, we have a little, we call it a slip-on engine, so it just goes in back of a truck that somebody funded for us, and it holds about 300 gallons of water, and it has a pump so we can pump the water at high velocity. Not, you know, like a big fancy fire engine, it's something that works for us for now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a good testament to what you guys are trying to do ultimately, which is to make it accessible um, and to kind of prove that it doesn't have to be this big elaborate thing. You know, you can you can kind of use what you have on hand um, and what you have available yeah. to you. Exactly. And so family burns, you don't really, you know, have to have all those fire qualifications or anything like that because we're doing it outside of the wildfire season. And so, basically, the uh, landowner, um, because we're on the reservation, they get a, a, a permit from the tribe. Mm -hmm. And then, um, on the day of the burn, we just did Cal Fire a courtesy call to let them know that we're burning in case somebody, you know, calls in a fire. They know that it's just us. And so that they don't race to put it out. They just say, okay, thank you for the call. 
And I'm curious, um, I'm curious how you originally got into this work, kind of into, into the fire community, into the fire world. Uh, what was your path into this current career, uh, into your current position like? Um, so it's actually not a career for me yet. My actual real job is I work for the school district. I'm the Indian education director and I do fire in my spare time. Um, I, how I, uh, started down this path is that I am also a basket weaver mm-hmm. and the, um, Materials, some of the materials that we use to make baskets are fire dependent. So the frame of our basket is hazel, and hazel has to be burned in order to send up new shoots, and it's those new shoots that we use. And so as a basket weaver, um, without any materials and other basket weavers in the community, you know, didn't have materials either, and basically the art of basket weaving was dying out. And it's more than just the art; it is um, we use them for um, for practical pur- purposes. We carry our babies in baby baskets, and you know, we, there's all these things that we use baskets for to lift up prayer and other things. And so we needed to have hazel. That was one of the primary reasons that drove us to um, to do um, what it takes to bring fire back to the land. And the other um, reason was that our um, our land, our reservation, is really, really overgrown with brush. It's just like so thick you can't even walk through it. And we was afraid that if there was a wildfire, our elders might not be able to escape. Those were the two driving reasons, and then as we began burning, we came to realize that um, restoring the land is restoring the people, that there is a very tight connection between the health of the land and the health of the people. And like all reservations, we have a lot of social maladies among our people. And so this is um, a a venue to bring our people back to a healthy way of living. Do you remember fire having an influence or being an influence in your in your life when you were younger? Oh no, no, because well, fire's been outlawed for over a hundred years. They used to shoot Indian people for you know setting fires to take care of the land and. And after they quit killing us for it, then they would throw people in prison. And so fire was never really a part of my life growing up. My older brothers did do some burning for Graham. There was a period of time in the 60s when um, when there was more acceptance and, and of the knowledge that fire is good for the land. And Cal Fire would actually come down river and help some people burn and so they wasn't you know um so there was a period of time that it was acceptable and then that guy retired and then he left and then it was back to Rome in prison and when did it start to sort of when did you guys start to start re- reintroducing it only recently within the last probably 10 years or as like a uh, it's been in 2013 there was one old lady who never stopped burning, and she said she didn't care. They can throw her in jail if she wants, 
if they wanted to, and she kept burning, and they didn't throw her in jail. It was probably too much of a <laughs> political suicide to throw a little old lady with a 111 tattoo on her chin in jail. And so she was like the only place she had about five acres that she would burn. And um, there would be, I remember that one year, I was so happy she invited me up to pick sticks because that was the only place. Because yeah. all I know is that I was having grandbabies and they were going to be carried in baby baskets. And I needed sticks and I wasn't willing to go to prison. <laughs> so we needed to find a way to do it legally. Wow, that is wild. So if you could... um. If you could just give me maybe a little a little summary for my for the listeners about what cultural burning is. What it, what is it to you, I guess? Um what are the sort of traditions surrounding cultural burning in the Yurok tribe specifically? So, a cultural burning has to do with um the connection to the land mm-hmm. and and why you're doing it and the time of year that you do it and where you do it. So um, it has to do with keeping things in balance physically and spiritually, and it has to do with um, respect for the land. You know, you're not out there um, just acting in your witch way, pissing on a tree or whatever. (laughs) You know, you, (laughs) you... you send up prayer before you light the fire, you know, to uh, to um, to let the plants and animals to know that, you know, that you're there in a good way, that we're doing this to take care of all things. And um, so for us, we do cultural burns. Um, some, you know, some of our cultural burns that we call treks, um, training exchange. Mm-hmm. We're out there with fire engines and, and firefighters dressed in greens and yellows. But we're there to um, to um, improve the quality and quantity of culturally important species. And so when people come and help us burn our land, we're teaching them that this is more than just burning brush. These plants here, this is what we use for baskets. And when we burn them, we're going to have basket materials. These plants over here, this is medicinal tea. That one over there, if you get poison oak, we'll make that into a tea and put it on your poison oak, and that will go away. This plant here, we use that to make strength. And so it's all of these, it's the reasons behind it and the way you go about it and the relationship to place. Traditionally, each family took care of their own hunting and gathering place. So if a young man went up out hunting up in the hills and he looks around and sees environmental cues that okay, this place is ready to be burned again. Then as he walked up the hill, he would light the fire, and it would burn down the hill. And uh, uh, traditionally, there was different places would be burned each year. It was a cycle of burning in different areas, so there was not all this brush that you see now, and so the fire didn't just go wild. 
were just burned to a, you know, a place that had already been treated or down to a creek or whatever it was, and then that would be that. It would go out. Or they would know when a storm was coming so that when they light their fire, they know that, well, this evening there's going to be a storm coming in, so that'll, you know, the fire should work its way down the hill by then, and then the rain will put it out. And uh, the same thing with the hazel places or the, uh, or like under the um, cannel trees for acorns. So traditional burning is burning at the right place at the right time. And, and, and knowing the, uh, you know, like the weather patterns, the wind patterns, those kinds of things. And why do you think, um, why do you think it's important to sort of reintegrate this practice into our modern fire programs or reintegrate maybe not even the practice so much as the, the idea behind it, like the whys? Well, for us, it's important because our culture depends on it. Our That's... cultural life ways depend on, on putting fire on the land to make mm -hmm. the land healthy so that the cultural species um, thrive and that we have access to them. Um, a, a byproduct of taking care of the land with, with fire to achieve these cultural purposes is that it creates uh, um, uh, buffers for um, wildfire so that when, when you know, we're, we're burning the land for cultural purposes, it's getting rid of all that brush. And so it's reducing the amount of, of fuel that would otherwise contribute to a wildfire. So it is limiting the um, impact and extent of wildfire. And have you been able to consult with other tribes who are, you know, interested in maybe doing similar burns on their land? Or are you, you know, uh, go ahead. Yeah, so um, the, our, our neighbors, the, um, the Coop tribe and the Hoopa tribe, to some extent, um, they also do burns. Mm -hmm. The Coop tribe does quite a bit of cultural burns. The Hoopa tribe does a little bit. Uh, but we're also part of the Indigenous Peoples Burn Network, mm -hmm. whose goal it is to uh, reach out to other tribes in the U.S. and either, even other Indigenous nations from other other. Um, other countries to um, to bring back this these traditional uh, fire practices, you know, not to bring our way of doing it to them, but sharing how we did it so that they know that it is possible to bring their fire culture back in, in whatever way that looks like for them. So do you, so what are the sort of objectives in your area for the, the Cultural Fire Management Council? Like what are what are some things you guys are are, hope, are working towards, I guess? Um, what are some, some goals you're working towards? So we are, um, our goal is to use fire to, um, to restore the whole of our ancestral territory, which is half a million acres. Yeah, we have a big territory, um, and that's the ancestral territory. It's not the reservation. The reservation is much smaller than that, and the mm -hmm. tribe only owns a small part of the reservation. Mm -hmm. But everybody in our in in our area wants their land burned. Nobody wants all that brush on their property. And so, our goal is to uh, be able to restore that land using using fire as one of the primary tools and to reconnect people with the land.
That's fantastic. Have you been able to, have you, have you made baskets um, for your grandchildren then? Oh yeah. I have nine grandkids and they have each have their own uh, baby basket. Um, I'm teaching one of my granddaughters how to weave a basket. Um, so yeah. And the baskets all come from our, our burns, our cultural burns that we do with the, the sticks, the hazel sticks. Well, what's really cool, too, is that we have so many more basket weavers now. We have um, two basket weaving classes downriver and one in Hoopah that day. When it comes springtime, they ask, you know, well, where, where do we pick this year? And we tell them, and they have to all go out and get as many sticks as they need. So have you been able to sort of braid your day job and your fire job a little bit or and your fire passion a little bit? Has there been uh, some overlap there? Well, yeah, there definitely, definitely is uh, because um, my job is to educate the, the uh, students about, you know, our cultural life ways and fire is definitely one of our cultural life ways. And so we, um, I have done um, lessons that the teachers um, implement in their classes. Um, you now made a short little book with uh, with um, lessons that go with it. We go uh, sometimes um, some of the cultural fire people, myself included, will go into the classrooms and and do some hands-on lessons with. Uh, they call it matchstick forest. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. I turn little um, 10 by 12 um, tins and put little matchsticks in there and pretend like they're forests and light them different ways and have different numbers of trees in the forest and see how they react, you know, if you light it at the top or at the bottom. It's, so we definitely incorporate it into the schools and we also uh, bring kids on field trips to our cultural burns so that they can see firsthand, you know, what a burn looks like and that you start at the top of the hill and, and you know, how you do it in a safe way and, and why you do it. Mm -hmm. And do you, how has this sort of reintegration of cultural burning, you know, over only over the last, what, eight years or so, um, how has it changed ha your your tribe or your community over the years? Well, one thing is that we have plenty of basket weaving materials now, so we have a lot more basket weavers. Um, another thing is that you can actually see the skyline when you look up the hill and all the places that we burn. Um, and before, you could never do that. Because all you do when you look up the hill is see just brush. You have to like look straight up in the air to see the skyline. <laughs> and the um, the um, deer have come back to all the places we burned, so our hunters don't really have to go off the reservation to hunt anymore. Um, it's just it's it's made a big difference. Also, we have trained up numerous um, community members to um, they're actually qualified as firefighters if they wanted to go on a firefighting job they could but now we have a grant to where we can hire them up to um, help prep the land to light fire and not fight fire and so it is uh, providing jobs 
in our community. Mm-hmm. And also the number of um, people that are starting to burn around their homes for safety is increasing. We're having more and more family burns because people um, know how to do it within, within uh, legally now. Mm-hmm. And they have, you know, our help and support and making sure it stays under control. A huge thanks to Margot for providing perspective on the importance of cultural burning in the Yurok tribe for this episode. Thanks also for sharing your passion for cultural burning and basket weaving, which undoubtedly serves as inspiration to other practitioners across the country. My ask for all you listeners today is to follow Life with Fire on whatever social media you're into, to share the podcast with a few people who you think might enjoy it, and to subscribe or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you're liking what you hear. Thanks for listening and catch you on the next episode.